0: Alright, well if you haven't been with us, I know we've got some people coming in, first time for the summer, glad to have you back. Uh, We've been walking through the book of Romans, verse by verse. Uh, We call it the gospel, the power of the gospel. Romans tells us about the power of the gospel. This week we're starting chapter 4, talking about Abraham, the founding father of our faith. And have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered why we need to preach uh, faith over works? Why is that something that, that we need to preach in, in the church? I mean, if we, if we did it naturally, if we just naturally trusted Jesus, then we wouldn't have to preach it, right? We wouldn't, you only have to exhort people to do things that they don't naturally do. I didn't have to come in here this morning and it be today's lesson, today's message will be to breathe air, right? I didn't have to come in here and remind you all, hey, don't forget, today, breathe and you're like, that's I totally, honey, that's what we forgot to do. We totally forgot to breathe today. I don't have to encourage you or remind you, we don't have to point each other to something that we already naturally do. So, so why do we need to preach grace? Why are our hearts bent toward works? Why do we try to earn something that we're freely offered? I mean, if I was to, to come to, to one of you, if I was to come to Anna and say, I'm gonna give you my my cell phone, the gift of my iPhone, right? I say, now you have two options. You can just take it for free. Or, for the next six weeks, you can work hard labor here at the church. Put it in the yard, you can get out there with Sean and Robert, you can work six weeks, 12 hours a day, and then I'll give you my iPhone. Or, you can just have it for free. Of course, why would, she, why would she not choose the free option? Why would you choose to work for something that you could just be given? So, why is it that we try to continue to earn from God what he's freely giving to us in Jesus? I remember as a kid, I loved playing Nintendo. And there was this, this invention they had called the Game Genie. And what the, what the Game Genie would do is if you put this Game Genie in the Nintendo, you could plug in these cheat codes. And then it would give you, like, infinite lives. Mario could never die, right? Or, or he could never be hurt, could, you know, whatever it was. And so then you could just kind of walk through these levels and easily beat it. Now, I hated the Game Genie. Why? because I was, am, a competitive freak, right? And and I wanted so badly to earn that win. I wanted to crush Bowser on my own because of these thumbs of glory, not because of some cheat code, right? I wanted to be able to, to brag. In other words, I didn't want it freely handed to me. I wanted to boast, behold, I am Justin Mario demigod, right? Like, I wanted the, all the glory that comes with being good at a Nintendo. And, and this is the same thing with our salvation. Romans 4, 4 verse 2, he says, If his, talking about Abraham, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. If it was Abraham's works that, that gained him salvation, he could have bragged. He could have boasted. And in and, and our hearts, if we're honest, now, we want to get to heaven, but we want to stroll into heaven, Right? We want the crowds to stand up with this ovation. Just in, just in, right? And man, Mr. Frankino, oh, right this way, we've got a spot for you up front next to the temple, right? You should see the mansion we have picked out for you. You were awesome down there. Like, you crushed it. You know how many ladies you helped across the street, right? You know know how many times you were in church? You are um, amazing. You have so many more crowns than Blair or Drew or those other elders. Like, you're the best. And we want that. My flesh, my heart wants the credit. It wants the glory. Because at the core of who we are as sinners, we want to be worshipped, not God. That's the Romans 1 depravity that we talked about. We, we want ourselves on the throne, not God. And this morning, Paul wants to remind us that even Abraham himself had nothing, nothing to boast about in regard to his own salvation. In Romans, or Galatians chapter 6, Paul says it this way, As for me may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we be a people that are humbled by God and that we, our eyes and our hearts would be opened and that we would freely receive what we could never earn. May we boast only in Jesus. And if you remember our our outline here as we were walking through the first four weeks, Paul, he pointed us to and reminded us of the fact that the only thing we deserve as sinners is the wrath of God. And he hammers that point for, for two and a half chapters, but then we saw last week in 321, but now, but now, but now, God's righteousness has been offered freely to us, which is good news because we could never earn it on our own. And he's been talking about what salvation means. And we said that to be justified, it means to be declared legally right in God's sight. We we said that why can we be declared right when we're clearly wrong? Because Jesus came and took our punishment and gave us his righteousness. God gave to us freely what we could never earn from him. And so now we're going to develop this thought here in, in Romans chapter 4. And if you remember, Paul's writing this letter to the house churches in Rome for two reasons. The first one was to introduce himself. Remember, he had never been there before, so he wants to say, I'm Paul, and, and here's the gospel that God set me apart to preach the nations to. So, so this is why we have such a, such a laid-out version of the gospel, because they've never heard it from him before. But the second reason, and the reason we want to look at this morning, was um, unification. Remember, there was the Jewish Christians and there's the Gentile Christians, and they are fighting against each other. They're, they're, they're at odds with one another. And Why is that? Well, we saw that back in 49 AD, this is only a few years after Jesus had left, that Emperor Claudius, he kicked the the, the Jews, all the Jewish Believers, and and even unbelievers, out of the city of Rome. And then five years later, they're welcomed back. And so when these Jewish Christians come back to the church in in Rome, it's filled with Gentiles. And what they find is that none of these Gentiles are obeying the Jewish law. They're all eating ham sandwiches. They're working on, on Saturdays, right? They're not circumcised. Like, you dirty Gentiles! And, and they looked at him and said, if you want to be a part of God's covenant blessings, that you need to obey the law. You need to become Jewish, which to be fair, was the Old Testament way. But when Paul preaches in Romans 3, that we're declared right by faith in Jesus alone, not by works, not by Jewishness, he, he anticipates this pushback, from, especially from, from the Jewish section of his audience. And he knows what they're going to ask. But Paul, what about Abraham. What about our boy Abraham? Abraham was like the, the Jewish godfather, okay? Picture Don Corleone with a yarmulke on, right? That's, that is Abraham to them. Like, he's our guy. And they're going to say, man, look at how good Abraham was. Look at all the good things that Abraham did. In fact, the rabbis at the time, they had these writings on top of the Old Testament. And one of the things they said about Abraham was that he had this surplus of merit, which was basically saying Abraham was a good guy. That he had a ton of brownie points with God. Go back and read the Old Testament. Look at all the good things that Abraham did. He's our forefather. So for the Jew, this is everything. If Paul can't convince them that Abraham was justified by faith and not works, then he's wasting his breath. Because that's their boy. That's the one they're looking to. So what we're going to see here in, in, in chapter 4 is what I call justification illustrated. They're going to give an example. In fact, Paul's going to give two examples of people who were saved by faith, not by works or circumcision. Now, these were two very key people because if you made a Jewish Mount Rushmore, the two people that you're putting up there at the top of the list were number one, Abraham. He was the father of the Jews, right? He's the first one that everybody else came from. And the second one is David. David was the, seen as the king of the Jews, Right? It was from his throne, his kingly line, that the eternal king, the Messiah, Jesus, would come from. I don't know, you could round it out. I don't know, Moses and Elijah, I don't know who else would be up there. But they say, these are our two guys. And what Paul's going to show is if these two weren't saved by works, then that nobody could. Nobody could be. You remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Now, I had an issue with the next line. I am one of them, and so are you. So wait a second. I'm 75% German, decidedly not Jewish, and I'm Italian, right? I'm not, I'm, how am I a, a, a son of Abraham? How are, how are you a, a son or a daughter of Abraham? Are, are we truly children of Abraham? And, and chapter 4 today is going to answer that question for us. tension, tension. First one, we're going to see here, Abraham is justified by faith and not works. And secondly, he's justified by faith, not circumcision. We're going to see why that matters for us today. Um, if, if you look here, one of the things we, we've got to, to figure out is, is what in the world this word means, faith, because he's going to use this 39 times in the book of Romans. This is how we're made right with God. And out of those 39 times, 11 of them are used right here in chapter 4. So this, this is huge. So, so what in the world does, does faith mean? And, and in fact, the word believe is used six times, so, and that's a synonym of, of faith. And so we've really got to key in on, on what this means. If you go over to Hebrews chapter 11, um, there's a, a built-in definition of, of what faith means. And the writer said this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So what does that mean? How do, I, I reword it like this. Faith is confidently accepting as true what you can't see faith is confidently accepting as true what you can't see so for for example if i told you this piano exists okay you, you don't that doesn't require faith from you right you can confidently accept as true that this piano exists by sight There's no faith involved because you can see it. You can touch it. You can prove its existence. A key element is that you can't see it. But if I said, hey, at the end of this service, my grandma is going to come walking into this gym with a plate of cookies for every single one of you that sat in the first row this week, just like we've been asking our our regulars. Bridget's like, yes, I love this, this illustration. Now, you can't see my grandma. You can't see those cookies. Faith is confidently accepting my word and, and what you can't see, but what you hope for so badly, right? And by faith, you sit in the front row, right? Now, I'm sorry. This is a hypothetical, Isaac. I know, I know. You're bummed. If faith is, is put, you're putting your faith in, in the promise that, that I'm making toward you. And this is an important part of faith. Faith demands an object. Like, you can't just have faith. You ever hear that? Oh, he is such a man of faith. She has a lot of faith, right? It's not, you can't just kind of have faith. Faith, you have to have faith in something. So so if you said, I believe Justin, that's an incomplete thought. What is it that you believe about Justin? You believe his promise to you that grandma's bringing some cookies at the end of the service. So I don't just have faith or even faith in God. It's specifically who he is and the promises he's made to us. If I believe God is trustworthy, I believe in his promises to me, the specific truths. So, so what is it, what, what is it specifically that we put our faith in that makes us right with God? What is the object of our faith to be? And it's God's word. It's God's word. It's what God says to us about who Jesus is for us. And if I believe that, if I believe he's trustworthy and therefore his promise of Jesus is trustworthy, then I'm accepted accepted. So let's look at the first point here, justification by faith and not by works. Verse 1, he says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. He says, Abraham, our forefather, Paul was a Jew, so saying our forefather Abraham, if he was made right in God's sight by what he did, then he has something to brag about. He can boast. Look at what I've accomplished. And my whole gospel is a sham. Because my whole gospel says we're saved by faith, not by works. And if Abraham's saved by works, it negates the entire point. So then he asks the question well, what does Scripture say? Because that's always the important question, right? What does God say about this? Not what does Justin say about this? I get up here week after week and I do a lot of talking. And my expectation is that you would look at between what I'm saying and the word of God sitting in your lap and say, does this match up? And if it doesn't match up, I'm the one that's wrong, right? We might have a, we might have a disagreement on how to interpret a verse, but that's the authority, not my take on it. Hold me accountable to the word of God. But so what does scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. This word counted is another important word in this chapter. It's used 19 times in the book of Romans and 11 times. Almost over half the times it's used right here in this chapter. So what in the world is it saying? Well, the word counted or to count, the word meant to to credit or place on someone's account. So if I put 25 cents in your piggy bank, here welcome I have credited you 25 cents. I've placed it on to your account. I went to Key Bank, and I said, this quarter is for my buddy, right? And that was my tithe, right? They don't know. <laughs> um, so so I've placed it on, on your account. So what's, it says, God's placing righteousness on Abraham's account because he believed. So what, what's he referencing? Well, this is, this is a quote from back in Genesis 15, Genesis 15, God makes this promise to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. This great nation through through your descendants. Now, Abraham was an old man. Didn't have any kids at the time. So Abraham goes, well, man, it must be through one of my servants then because Sarah and I are barren. So if God's going to do this thing, it must be through one of my servants, not not actually through our physical lineage. But God is this really cool scene. He takes him out. I always picture the Mufasa Simba moment, right? look at the stars, Abraham, right? He looks up there, he goes, you see them stars? Them, your babies. That's the number of descendants that you're gonna, you can't even count the stars, man. That's how many kids I'm gonna give you. This is God's promise to him. And how does Abraham respond to that promise? Verse six of Genesis 15. He believed the Lord and he counted it, what? His belief, his faith, to him as righteousness. Abraham believed. The word here, the Hebrew word is amen. Abraham gets all charismatic on God, right? Let it be so. I believe, right? Amen. He accepts what God says is true. This is faith. Abraham confidently accepting what God had promised him as true. And it's something he couldn't see. In fact, it contradicted what he could see. And when Abraham believed what God said to him, in effect, it says God gets out his accounting book. And under Abraham's name, under Abraham's account, he writes, perfect, right in my sight. Abraham's still a sinner, but in God's eyes, he accepts his faith as a right standing, right relationship with God. Now, now there's two ways that we can earn this, two ways we can receive this. He can be gifted to us, or we can earn it. Look at what it says in verse four. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So you'll go to work, not tomorrow, most of you, but on Tuesday, and you go back to work. And at the end of the week, or the end of the two-week period, or the month, whatever your pay period is, you'll receive a check. Now, if you don't receive a check, right, there's going to be some major problems with you and your employer. Why? Because that's your due. You earned it. You worked that period of time, and your wage is what you earned, what your due. But as a sinner... I can't earn right standing with God. The only wages that that I receive for my work as a sinner are the wrath of God and eternal separation and death. That is not a fun payday. But, he shows the alternative, verse 5, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is so beautiful. He clearly shows faith is not a work. In fact, he says, the one who does not work, but believes. You see the comparison there. In Christ, all boasting is gone, right? Like if someone was to put a million dollars into my piggy bank, that would be a big piggy bank. I don't walk around going, oh yeah, right? Look at me. Look at the money that I earned, right? Look how awesome I am to have that million dollars. No, someone else gave that to me. And so what I do is I simply say thank you to the one who gave me that money. There's no boasting in that for me. And this is the beautiful truth. Look, at, look again in verse five. He justifies the ungodly. Do you see what it says that God does? He, he looks at me, and because of Jesus, he looks at me who's very ungodly, who's very wrong, and he looks at Justin, the ungodly, and says, I declare you godly. He looks at me, who is wrong, and says, I declare you right in my sight. Why did he do that? Because Jesus put his righteousness in my piggy bank and took my sins and put them in his on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And then he, he looks to his other example. He looks at King David in verse 6. Um, he says, just as David also speaks the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from work. So there it is again. Now, David, in the next two verses, he's quoting David's Psalm 32, which is most likely, most likely a response to remember the time when he sleeps with Bathsheba and then kills her husband to cover it up. That's an adultery murder, okay? That's not great. And this is what he says in response to the forgiveness he receives from those sins. Blessed Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. What hope for us, and we, we're all sinners, right? What hope for us that believe we've outsinned the grace of God? This guy committed adultery, and then murder, and he was forgiven. Now, How could David's sins be forgiven? How could God declare him right when he was so clearly wrong? Well, you remember our story, as we walk through the story of the Bible, and and these kings are ushered in, and from King David, it said, there's this one that's coming down your kingly line whose throne will be eternal, it will never end, and this Messiah is going to right every wrong. By faith, Abraham and David looked forward to this coming sin defeater, this snake crusher who would do something for them to make them right with God. Remember what we said last week in chapter 3. They're essentially putting it on the Jesus credit card. Right? That God could overlook David's sins and Abraham's sins and still be a right good judge because Jesus was coming. It was on Jesus' credit. And when Jesus came and paid for sins, he forgave the sins that Abraham and David committed. And the good news for us is this is the power of the blood. That as David committed murder, committed adultery. He took a lamb, and he said, this lamb is going to symbolically die in my place. I should be the one dying, not this innocent little lamb. And what this signified, Well, there is one coming, there's one coming who will make this right. Listen, there are no super Christians. There's no varsity and junior varsity Christians. We are all just as guilty all just as wrath deserving. David and Abraham, they might be part of the Jewish Hall of Fame, but they are wrecked sinners, just like you and I. Justified by faith in Jesus alone. Not because of what they had done. Second point justification by faith not by circumcision verse 9 says is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteous so Paul anticipates this argument that yes Abraham believed but he was circumcised right he was a Jew he did something right so there's still works involved he still had to get circumcised. Remember, the the Jewish Christians, when they're returning from exile to Rome, they're going, whoa, 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 whoa. We got some uncircumcised gents up all in this place. We got some major problems. And they're trying to follow Jesus without being circumcised? That's not going to work. In fact, this is a major controversy in the church. Uh, in, In Acts 15, this was a huge argument. It says, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Assyria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So if you say, if you're going to come into the club, you've you've got to be circumcised. You've got to become a Jew. And Paul's going to shoot down that argument with some some basic math. Okay, watch this. He says, how then was it counted to him, his righteousness by faith? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before. See, look at Genesis 15 is when Abraham was counted right because of his faith. Then it was in Genesis 17, that Abraham was circumcised. Now I'm no math major, but I <laughs> blair easy. but I can count 15, 16, 17, right? In, in chapter 15, David Ab- Abraham was 85, 86 years old. In chapter 17, he was 99 years old. That means there was 14 years that passed between that time. Think about 14 years ago in your life. <laughs> like, what were you doing? right? I was just graduating Bible school. Facebook wasn't a thing, right? 14 years, Abraham was counted right in God's sight before he was even ever circumcised. So that then we, or the Jew would maybe ask them, what's the point of circumcision? Like if it didn't save him, it wasn't a part of salvation, why did they get circumcised? glad you asked verse 11 he received the sign of circumcision as a seal as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still circumcised so at the time these kings would have these signet rings that had their own little personalized symbol on it and then they would take that and, and with wax they would imprint on a letter or a decree that they were going to make some kind of a law and what that would symbolize was this thing's legit this law that I'm about to make, this decree that I'm about to say, it has the authority of the king. The seal proved that. Now, we have to be very careful here. Because notice it wasn't the seal that made it true, that, that made it authoritative. It was just simply a sign to show that the words were authoritative, that the, that the words were binding. So circumcision, it didn't justify Abraham. Faith came first, right? The circumcision was simply a seal to show that he had faith, to show that he was saved. And we've said the same thing, we said this in chapter 2. Remember when Paul talked about baptism? And it's the same thing for us with with baptism. Baptism doesn't save us. It's a seal that shows that we are saved. It's a public testimony so that everybody else can, can see that this is authoritative. This salvation comes from God through Jesus. And then Paul concludes, he wraps up with this closing argument. So who's a child of Abraham? Now now follow this. It's a little wordy. It says, the purpose was to make him, Abraham, the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Do you catch that? Who is that? The uncircumcised, the Gentile. To become the father of the Gentile without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as as well. So who's a child of Abraham? I am one of them, and so are you. It's, it's all who have faith in what God said about who Jesus is. He says it's not just those who are circumcised. It's those who have the faith of, of Abraham. That goofy song got it right. Now, this isn't, this is not, and, and we have to make sure, and we're, when we look at chapters 9 through 11, which is going to be a wild ride, um, the church is not Israel. I don't, I don't believe the scripture teaches that. And we're going to see the relationship between the church and Israel, And and, and yet, um, what we do see here, what we do see is that the Jew and the Gentile are made one in Christ. So how was that wall of hostility between the Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian broken? The peace comes through Jesus. In Galatians 3, it says this so clearly. The New Living says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Christ. And to all who have been united with Christ in baptism, that's spirit baptism, not water baptism, it's it's us being placed, the word means to be placed into, placed into Jesus, have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, right? We can we, we, we do that. So make that suggestion to Robbie for after the service. And, and then, and this is so brilliant, the way, if you could follow this, man, verse 12, look at what he says to them. So to make him, so the reason he was justified before his circumcision, that came in that order, was to make him the father of the circumcised, the Jew who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the, father that, of the faith that our father Abraham had before he w- was circumcised. Again, a little wordy, but here's what he's saying. And I love when Paul gets snarky. Like, I don't know if he missed his coffee that morning, but he's coming at these Jews. And because and, the Jews thought, you've got to become circumcised. The Gentile needs to become like the Jew to be saved. And he brilliantly flips it. He turns the tables and goes, no, 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 no. no. It's not just for you who were merely circumcised. They thought that was the ticket to heaven. He goes, is that all you are, circumcised? Come on, bro. Is that all you got? It's not just about being circumcised. He goes, but it's having the faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. In other words, you Jews need to become like Gentile Abraham. This would have ticked them off. I would have loved to have been there. What Paul is saying here is that Abraham was a Gentile before he was a Jew. He was saved before God, before he was ever circumcised, before he was ever a Jew. If you want to be a real child of God? A real child of Abraham? Walk by faith and boast only in the cross, no works. Now, like Paul, I anticipate a question that could arise from a sermon like this. So I want to close with this one final thought. Because you might say, well, Paul says that we are saved purely by faith in Jesus' work, not on our own works. So there can be this conclusion, well, then works don't matter, right? If they don't matter, then let's sin it up, baby. Put it on my Jesus tab, right? I'm just going to keep swiping the Jesus credit card and live however I want because I'm not saved by works. And here's what I want to say to that. statement says, we are justified by faith, not works. That is clear through Paul's teachings throughout the entire Bible. However, however, faith is made complete by works. Now we might buck against that sentence when we first hear it, but don't shoot the messenger. This comes straight from the Bible. James 2 says, you see that faith was active along with his works, again talking about Abraham, and faith was completed by his works. The word completed means to be brought to an end, to to finish in other words, his faith resulted, necessarily resulted in works. Now, look at look at the context here. This is when God told Abraham, I have a great nation through you, and specifically it's going to be through Isaac. But then, before Isaac had a single baby to his name, he says, I want you to kill Isaac. I want you to kill your son that you're supposed to have these descendants through. And, and you must, I mean, Abraham must be going, wait, what? How do you reconcile those two things? But it says by faith, by faith, Hebrews says, he walked up a mountain with his son in tow. By faith, he lifted up a knife and brought it down toward his son's chest. Why? Because, Hebrews says, he believed he had a confident assurance in God's promise, and it says he figured he must, have, he must be able to raise him from the dead. If I'm going to kill him, and he's going to have these babies that are going to be my descendants someday, then, then he must raise him up from the dead. And because he believed, he acted. Because he believed, he acted. Faith completed his works. If he had said, okay, God, I believe you, and then stayed at home, is that faith? If uh, Robert and I were in here uh, working on the lights, these, these lights up, and I don't know why Robert would ask me to do this with him. But if we took the scissor lift and we put it up there and Robert's like crawling up and he gets stuck on the air duct and like he can't see down, right? He has no idea where he is. And, and, I, and I come below Robert and I say, look, I, I know you can't see me. I know you can't see the lift. But I need you to trust me. If you'll just let go I'm, I got you, buddy, right? We're going to have this moment. You're going to fall into my arms. We're going to gaze into each other's eyes. It's going to be beautiful, right? I'll save you. Feel faith in me. Now, Robert has a choice, right? He, he can place his faith in me, in my word. He can confidently accept as true what he can't see. Now, if he believes, what will happen? He's going to take an action, right? He lets go. He jumps. That's what we call it, a leap of faith. It's a, it's a leap of action. It's not a leap of thought. Belief isn't going, okay, Justin, I believe you. Like, in my head, I'm seeing myself jump, right? No. If he believes me, if he believes that I'm trustworthy and that I, what my promise is, that I'm here, that I'm below him, that I'll catch him, he lets go. And he takes a leap of faith. If you believe God, you will obey God. What area of your life have you claimed to trust him in, but you have not made it complete by your actions? Maybe there's, maybe there's something in your life that God's saying to put down. Maybe there's a specific action, a specific relationship. And what he's saying is, do, do you trust me that I know better than you, that my way is better than you? If you put that thing down, then I'll still be enough. Will we, by faith, walk away? Will we, by faith, let it go? Will we, by faith, put it down? Or maybe he's calling you to do something. Go somewhere. Give of yourself generously to somebody else. Will we trust that he's going to lead us and guide us and provide the means that he's asking for in the first place? By faith, we take that step. We take that leap. And maybe, I mean, have you been baptized before? We know faith in Jesus alone saves us. But that first step, he said, go and make disciples, baptizing them. Teach them to obey all I've commanded. The first thing he said was, get baptized. The seal that shows that that you believe me, to show the whole world that you've placed your faith in Jesus. Maybe that's your step of faith today. Now, it's important to understand, and this is why, man, when we get to Galatians, or excuse me, uh, Romans 6 through 8, he's going to show us so clearly, so clearly, that we are, that not only are we saved by faith, but we grow by faith. That the the new life of Jesus is in us, the Holy Spirit is going to empower us to do these things. We're not saved by, by grace and then, and then grow by self-effort. We're saved by faith in Jesus. We grow by faith in, in Jesus. But it will result in a change. When you move from death to life, there's a difference. And if we believe him, it will be completed by the way that we live. By the way that we live. And my prayer is that we would become a people that would say, like Paul, that we boast in nothing except the cross of Jesus And if we trust him, if we move all the chips in the middle of the table toward Jesus, we will be a people who do good works that glorify God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Abraham. I thank you that he shows us so clearly that that we're not saved by what we do. And what what a good word. Because God, I'm so tired of validating myself through my actions, trying to prove to other people that I'm something that I'm clearly not. Lord, might we wholesale buy into the gospel that we are wrecked sinners saved by grace, that we have nothing to boast about. We are not here pointing our people to to all the things we've stacked up in our own account, but we are pointing people to Jesus and saying, look what he did for me. Blessed am I that I was forgiven, that I was counted right in God's sight, not because of anything I did, but because of what Jesus did for me. Give us the grace. I beg by your mercy to trust you, to boast only in the cross of Jesus. And that as we place our faith in you, as we, as we, as we say we trust you, that then we're going to obey you. And whatever you tell us to do, that you're going to enable us to do, this isn't us gaining salvation by our works, but it's bringing to completion our belief in Jesus. Father, we need you. If there's anyone in this room today that has never placed their faith in Jesus, they would not put it off to tomorrow, the tomorrow that we're not guaranteed. And many of us as believers, as we're growing, we slip back into that that crevice of of self-effort, trying to earn what you've freely given to us. Open our eyes to see the truth. There's nothing good in us, but there's everything good in Jesus. May we cling to his beautiful, powerful, justifying name. Amen.